brownies and bobbins to ignore the bird, follow the river, a podcast where nerds and creatives talk about Willow the movie in anticipation for the upcoming Disney Plus series. I am Zach, Game Master at NerdCrafty.com, and today I'm joined by fellow nerd crafters and Willow enthusiasts, Weston and Adam. Weston, how are you? Who are you? And where can we see more of your creative nerdy stuff? Hey, my brother. It's, I'm Weston Lee Ball. You can find me online at Lava Submersible on TikTok and Instagram. I'm an actor. I'm an artist, a musician, uh, and I like to create stuff. I'm glad to be here today to talk about um, a really fascinating character from Willow, uh, Sorsha, Bab Morda's daughter. Uh, Adam, why don't you hey there. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to um, talk about all this stuff too. Sorsha. Sorsha is one of my favorite characters. Um, even though she doesn't have a lot of lines, she has like just uh, Joanne Wally. Is that how you pronounce her name? She, she brings so much to the table acting wise and just fills that character out and makes it such a, such a great character to, to watch and, and see how she progresses and everything like that. So yeah, I'm excited for today's topic as well. Yeah, yeah, we're certainly. in the midst of our continued World of Willow character deep dives, and tonight we are going to be talking about Sorsha. I've got a character sheet and some player and some dungeon master tips on how to run the bad guy turned good guy in your own Dungeons and Dragons campaign, or girl in this case, um, that we'll be getting to later. Weston, as usual, has some stellar art for this episode, and Adam has some badass Hero Forge tokens for us. All of those can be seen on the nerdcrafty.com Ignore the Bird uh, page on our website, where you can also find previous episodes and cool stuff. Uh, as I've said before, on each of our character deep dives, it's the characters that really turn a viewer into a fan. And it's the characters and their relationships with each other that players show up for in a D&D game. So tonight we are going to be talking about Sorsha. And Weston, I feel like I'm already cutting you off. What were you about to say? Oh, you, not at all, my friend. Not at all. Um, well, I, I think I, I just wanted to... I think... Before we shoot off too far into all of the wild stuff we're going to get into in this episode we've discussed, I wanted to talk about, like, I think a really interesting fact about Sorsha, as you pointed out, Stucky, is that um, her performance by, or Joanne Wiley's performance as Sorsha is absolutely stellar. I think she does so much with so little as far as uh, in the way of script goes, or evidently, um, Really, as far as what we know that the actors were given as backstory was fairly minimal as well. Um, so she put this character together, um, by and large, through uh, body language. And I think there's a really beauty, uh, there's a, a, a real uh, art to that. And I think it kind of is a, it shows itself at its kind of pinnacle um, when you can tell, like, we know a lot about Source's background from studying it, but. Um, that she had that inherent kind of uh, potential for magic that was kind of uh, not necessarily supported or, or, or taught to her in the way that she needed to learn it. 
I think is how I would interpret that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful moment when she and Finn Rizal and Willow and Laura Dannon head up in that, into that tower. And she has that final confrontation with Bad Morda. Um, I think that I'm going to come circle back to this, uh, this moment later as well, but I think that is kind of like the real crux of her character. That one line, she says, just one word, mother shouting it at her. And I feel like <laughs> if Sorsha really had that spark of magic power in her own way, and in the way that Bad Mortar reacts with, uh, with tearful uh, eyes, looking back at her daughter, uh, fulfilling a, a prophecy that she were, was going to betray her, um, you know, she knows that it's true in that moment. And it's almost as if Sorsha has done her own version of magic there. Very well, words were never spoken. Yeah. I think for myself, for myself, my favorite Sorsha moment is a little bit before that in the story when Bev Morda is turning everyone into pigs. And the, <laughs> I don't think she even has a line. I don't remember if there are words spoken, but Bev Morda is looking at everyone and she's kind of singling out each individual and turning them into pigs, like with a look of her eyes mm-hmm. and her eyes fall on Sorsha, who is, you know, on these enemy lines and Sorsha's has this great character moment where a whole range of emotions play over her face of surprise um, you know, incredulity that her mother would even point this transformative magic on her and target her with it. And, you know, you kind of, it, especially if um, on multiple viewings, you can kind of extrapolate from that range of emotions that go across her face that, that she's thinking that Sorsha at the time was kind of thinking she can play both sides. Like she's kind of thinking that she can have her cake and eat it too, that she can, she can be with people that will treat her decently and not have the ire of her own mother. And, and in the moment where she starts turning into a pig, it, it, you could see it kind of clicks on her or maybe in a moment of reflection she has later that if she's really going to, call Willow her friend and call Mad Martin her friend and, you know, be with these people who are going to treat her with respect and not try to manipulate her that she's going to have to divorce herself from Morta from her own mother. So my favorite Sorsha moment is definitely that just that quick little, I mean, it's got to be two seconds tops where the camera stops on her and then she starts turning into a pig and, and you see that range of emotion. Yeah, that's great. That kind of, it. It, yeah, it, it, it sort of brings me to my favorite moment with her. Um, because like I, I sort of toyed around, like there are a lot of, you know, little things that I liked about her, you know, just watching her growing up as I was growing up. And then, um, you know, just the part, I, I always liked the parts where, she's just showing the fact that what, whether she's on the bad side or on the good side, she just shows that she's a badass, and that she, you know, she 
she doesn't need anybody to take care of herself and she's not going to take shit from anybody. And, um, so I was thinking about like, you know, the scene where, um, where they, uh, capture Mad Margam and bring him back after Willow has, has talked to Finn Rizel on the Island and they're, they're back on the shore. And, uh, she's like, Oh, you lost your skirt. And he goes, and Mad Margam goes, I still got what got it, what or got what counts. And she goes, not for long. And then she just fucking kicks him in the face, like full <laughs> on, like excellent <laughs> extension, like even right in a horse. Like she's on a horse. She just like kicks him right in the face. Um, oh, and yeah. you, I was thinking that's like a that's a really cool moment. Um, very violent, but like, you know, she's not taking shit. And then the, then there's the where they're like um, traveling along and and mad martigan and willow are tied to the horses and they're just walking and uh she's like what are you looking at and he's like your leg i'd like to break it and and then he goes and then he goes away or she she moves on and he he goes i hate that woman but it's moments like those she's not just sort of being a badass but like she even though like that point like she doesn't really say anything but she's affecting him you know what I mean? It's not like it really shows. I think the agency of her affecting others. Um, and then last night when we were talking, I know these are a lot of moments, but it brings me this this one that I'm coming to is my actual favorite moment now because <clears throat> we were talking <laughs> about something last night and I can't remember what it was. And it just made me remember I was watching the scene where they're in Tirasleen and they're fighting and. um the first time I watched it, um, there's a point in the battle where Sorsha just sort of stops and she's looking around and she sees Mad Mardigan, you know, just fighting and kicking ass and stuff like that. And like uh, upon first view, you're thinking, wow, she's now finally realizing that she's actually in love with him. And that may be part of it because at the end, like, you know, he falls down, he's about to get stabbed and then she saves him. And then she pulls him up and gives him a big old kiss. Like she's the active one. But I think like in that moment, not only is she, or at least this is my head cannon, not only is she realizing that she's in love with him, but she's watching him do all this shit. And he's fighting for the good side. He's, you know, sort of a kind of a, you know, like a, a scoundrel, but he's still doing the right thing and fighting for the good side. And I think that's the moment where she starts to realize, hey, I don't have to. Um, do the things my mother tells me. I don't have to put up with that. I, I like she, she has agency, but that's when she's realizing that she has agency and she can do what she wants and she can make her own life. And that's, I think where she, um, that, that realizing that in that moment, and then going to the part that Zach was talking about, um, that, uh, Zach's favorite moment sort of cements it all and stuff like that. And that's, I, I really like the, that moment. Mm, yeah. I'd imagine, that, <laughs> I'd imagine that was really good. I'd imagine that for her <clears throat> character, she has, you know, she's been, um, kind of a noble she's in the military, but there's, you know, nepotism involved. And so she kind of has, you know, she's giving out commands at the very beginning of the movie. And so now she's seeing Mad Mardigan, who's like a one-man army, who has no station, <laughs> no, 
you know, hierarchy. And I'd imagine her character has um, a, a kind of admiration or respect for it in my opinion. Definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I assume Sorsha has seen her fair num- a, a fair number of brave men go down very violently uh, as part of the Nokmar army um, and a commander of that army, really. Um, yeah. And honestly, being uh, one of the only things that she ever really could prove she could do to her mother, um, which I think ties very heavily into the character. And, and with... Uh, but yeah, I think so. When she sees Mad Mardigan, it, it, it probably isn't the first time she's seen uh, someone fighting for their life. Uh, certainly not uh, the first time she's seen someone fighting alone uh, against mm-hmm. the Galador or the the Nokmar army. But uh, she sees in Mad Mardigan uh, somebody uh, acting out of uh, something that they feel is. Uh, imperative something that they are driven by that is in the all in all on its face is absolutely foolish uh when you look at mad mardigan <laughs> he's literally facing off against the entire nakmar uh, at least a a large portion of the nakmar yeah. army all alone <laughs> in tears lean this is before yep. eric and the rest of the galadorn knights uh show up to help um yeah so you know i think you know there's definitely part of at least part of uh that moment kind of playing into her um her own kind of development you know her own kind of uh thought process like here's this um this connect this person she's already had this connection to and doesn't necessarily see when she first meets Matt okay when she first meets Matt Martigan <laughs> She sees Mad Mardigan kind of as everyone sees Mad Mardigan, you know, this uh, scoundrel, this person who yep. doesn't have um, any social standing and uh, is, uh, yeah, is ultimately not somebody uh, worth any kind of uh, time for her. Someone she can right. kick in the face and not worry about, you know, uh, his life means less than killing him. I mean, yeah. or she would have done it then and there. Uh, it's not right. like for any reason they would have had to keep Mad Mardigan alive. She literally calls him, uh, you know, a slave, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she at some point directly yeah. says that to him. Um, so, yeah, that's where they start <laughs> their, uh, <laughs> you know, their dialogue essentially, uh, and I think she can see that growth in Mad Mardigan. Obviously the Mad Mardigan that we meet uh, by the lake um, is a very different Mad Mardigan than by the time he is fighting the Nokmar army in Tyr's Lean. Um, and I think that plays into that, um, what she's latching onto as well um, in how, uh, in her own growth and what she might want for her own life. Um, uh, a potential for change. Yeah. And one that is positive one that, um, because it, it, it's, uh, I'm sure during the course of Sorsha's life, she saw a great many things change, especially within the kingdom. Um, she would have been, uh, fairly aware of, of change for the worse and what that looks like. 
But change for the better, that is difficult to come by. And Mad Mardigan learns it, by and large, from our now one friend. And Sorsha has the uh, that moment where she sees the, the potential um, for change mm-hmm. that, um, that she sees in Mad Mardigan for herself. I think that's, that's yeah, definitely the, a big crux of her character. I mean, when you go back and look into the history of Sorsha's birth and everything like that, we get into um, some really heavy territory. So um, I meant to do this at the beginning of the episode, and uh, I thought I would do this now. Um, I would like to do a, a trigger slash content warning for all mm. our listeners out there. Um, the episode, um, especially from this point on, uh, we'll definitely be talking about uh, abuse uh, in a domestic sense and as well in, um, I, I think that's the best way to put it, in a bit, uh, domestic abuse um, from parent to child, obviously, with Babmorda and Sorsha. <clears throat> so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Make sure everybody is who's listening um, has that, uh, the moment where they can kind of change up what they're doing if they need to or whatever they need to do to keep themselves safe and comfortable. So Sorsha's backstory is uh, one that is inherently going to come up against um, some very hard times. Uh, She was born into a very difficult situation. Her entire life has been um, ultimately a struggle. Uh, Sorsha is a character that I I think... um, we all can sympathize with watching her story and watching her arc and wanting to cheer for her and her, her development, her getting away from uh, this uh, relationship that is obviously hurting her very much. This relationship with her mother. Uh, And, and how could it, how could it be? We've talked about in our bad Morta episode, how she was essentially um, written born evil. And we talked about the, implications of that in a lot of different senses Uh, so i don't want to revisit that too heavily here but what i do think is uh important is that um is the story is the story uh sorsha was born um to bab morta uh her father being the prince of tiris lane and as soon as uh sorsha was born bab morta took power uh, in a violent and uh, her typical magical fashion, as we talked about in her episode, by crystallizing everyone in Tirislein. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the day Sorsha is born. Uh, and that is uh, a, that's a very traumatic event for the land. And whether or not uh, Sorsha's infant body could in any way experience that, it's something that would have lived with her. Um, uh, from everybody surrounding her would have lived as part of her life. And getting uh, further into her story, we find that uh, Sorsha was kept isolated by Bab Morda, constantly um, being kept from friends, uh, even as far as uh, killing her childhood cat, or in an even sicker display, uh, ultimately making Sorsha kill her own childhood cat, which was her only friend. Um, 
and mm-hmm. that isolation would continue uh, into her life. Uh, Bad Morta keeping her from um, developing any real life relationships outside of the one that she had with Bad Morta. <clears throat> Bad Morta obviously trying to prime her for the same kind of life that Bad Morta uh, would want her to have, and not considering at all who Sorsha is and what she would want. For example, when Sorsha took up an interest in uh, sword fighting, uh, she had to do it discreetly. She had to do it in secret. And uh, when Bab Morta found out, she killed the man who was teaching her how to fight with swords, who uh, may or may not have been somebody that Sorsha had a kind of, maybe the first romantic love she had in her life, um, who then was taken from her as well. And these patterns of uh, relationship, this pattern that they're in, Sorsha and her mother, um, is one that is uh, fairly obviously written as abusive. I mean, and I think uh, when we get into Sorsha's character, I think it's that search for, uh, I think we talked about it last night, uh, and Adam brought it up a little bit earlier, um, but we were talking about agency. Our uh, wonderful producer, Sam, uh, definitely wanted me to make this uh, something that I hit hard. It was that Sorsha's character is one that um, is, se- is searching for agency, um, searching for uh, a- autonomy for her own life. And that comes directly from being kept from that for so long. Um, and, and that's why uh, her relationship with Mad Mardigan is a very complicated one to get into, especially um, if we consider the magical origins of their meeting. And in fact, the kind of magical origins or magical kind of romance that is played with uh, within the film and many fantasy films of uh, the time period. Mm. That that faded, uh, you know, kind of love, that magical love, you know, that uh, we don't see in this reality. And while that's not an explicit fact within the film, uh, they do fall in love in a way that uh, that isn't necessarily played for its realism. Obviously, the dust of broken heart plays a big part in their initial um, encounter romantic encounter i guess um and whether or not we could even call that a romantic encounter is 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 an interesting uh, discussion (laughs) i think we could have but um (laughs) definitely eye-opening no and and we talked quite a bit about it in in mad mardigan's episode but um what's interesting for me about that scene considering sorsha is that um for the first time maybe since this uh, instructor who taught her, this, this man who taught her how to so- uh, fight with the sword, um, she may have, it may have been as long, how am I trying to say this? <laughs> so that might have been the last time she experienced any kind of positive attention, essentially. After Bad Morta kept killing people in the kingdom, there was no way that anyone around her would want to be her friend um, just by the sheer fear of Bad Morta alone. Um, so when Mad Mardigan uh, 
is telling her she's the sun and the moon and the starlit sky and he lives in darkness without her. It might be literally <laughs> the first time in years that she's heard anything positive. Anything yeah. positive said to her. And that, whew, I mean, we've, we've all known people who've gotten into relationships they shouldn't have been in uh, because they were in a much worse relationship with the person that uh, you know was supposed to be caring for them, a parent or uh, something of that nature. And uh, those relationships being unhealthy, they would seek out anyone who would show them uh, that kind of kindness. And um, I think, uh, and, and that that's its own spectrum we could get into, but for Sorsha specifically, um, I think that moment is important to her important to her development and that it kind of shakes her. Um, it gets her out of her uh, status quo, um, gets it, her out of her typical headspace where she's essentially living in this isolated state of fear and reacting uh, with violence and anger to just about anyone and everyone as the commander of this evil army. Um, and I think that uh, that relationship um, as it evolves throughout the film, <clears throat> evolves with uh, evolves with Sorsha. But it's always that search for agency. She doesn't want, like you said, Stucky, she picks up Mad Mardigan. She doesn't want to be controlled by anybody. She doesn't want to mm-hmm. live like by anybody's rule uh, other than her own. She's lived that way for too long. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe even uh, part of Mad Mardigan's personality kind of calls to that part of herself as well. Um, that search for escape, um, that search for uh, maybe that that almost recklessness that Mad Mardigan possesses. Although at that point he is much much more uh, he's he serves the no one at that point. Yeah. So yeah, but we see. Um, as the story progresses, we see her eventually get to that point I brought up at the beginning of the program where uh, she has the actualization of her agency, where um, not only has she chosen uh, Mad Mardigan, the Knights Galandor and Willow as uh, her allies, her compatriots, her comrades, uh, she has also um, decided with that same decision to defy her mother and fulfill a prophecy. And I, I want to say... That prophecy is <laughs> horseshit. Absolute garbage. <laughs> no one actually thinks that prophecy is true. They literally... Okay. Sorsha is a child who is absolutely, like, kept isolated, abused by her mother. And so people are like, yeah, uh, so uh, we prophecy she's gonna betray you, I guess? You know? Because that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't she, you friggin' maniacs? Well, you know, like that kind of... Um... You know, if Morta is born evil, it's kind of that, what do they call it? Evil doesn't understand good. Like, it's just incomprehensible. Like, hmm. you know, the if Morta cannot even imagine a world where her daughter would betray her. And the only behaviors, and, you know, it's a fictional character, but it's a trope you see time and time again, especially in the you know, a black and white morality story where evil does not understand good. It cannot comprehend it. And that's 
that arrogance, that inability to be compassionate, to have understanding is their downfall. And I think Willow is definitely, um, I mean, it is clearly <laughs> a story that evil is its own downfall and good is good for its own reasons. It feels good. And that's, it's kind of a shame because Sorsha has some little lines and that conflict is internal with her character, but that it, that um, theme is clearly portrayed by her character and her character's actions. And, you know, her, I feel like Sorsha is, um, you know, we were talking about agency. She discovers her agency in a weird way with the love potion. And it's kind of this slow burn of discoveries that she's making it, that she's making, but how she finds it and what she does with it comes to a head with fulfilling the prophecy. And even, and it kind of, I know it doesn't, you had mentioned that, you know, you think the prophecy is bullshit, but I think it's actually, um, a good storytelling device for telling that theme that evil is its own poison and good is its own reward. Oh no, you're, you're absolutely right. I I'm absolutely being flippant when I say it, but uh, yeah, it, it, there <laughs> yeah. is a, a certain aspect of it that um, uh, I feel like is like the obvious, the obvious conclusion, like anybody looking at that relationships like that, toxic ass relationships definitely going to explode at one point right Um, (laughs) no it is as you say in this fantasy world i mean i i just uh the it reminds me what you were saying reminds me of that moment in uh master universe where skeletor (laughs) says this i mean langella has a thousand amazing lines in that movie i think it it goes without saying but he says something to he says something to the effect. I'm paraphrasing, but he says something uh, in the throne room after he's ca- uh, captured Grayskull, captured He Man, basically is one. He says wistfully, like an old man talking to their grandson, "Tell me, man. Tell me of the loneliness of good. Is it equal to the loneliness of evil?" And it's it's that misunderstanding that you're talking about, as well as a lot of other stuff that is specific to that movie in and of itself. But um, it's that um, that misunderstanding that uh, of putting yourself on a pedestal, where uh, I think we would all agree that moral or ethical good is um, without pedestals um, is mm. a certain kind of equity, uh, equality. Um, Whereas uh, this cartoon version of evil would see, um, you know, the obvious, uh, their obvious place at the top of a higher uh, hierarchy. Um, And that being something that they have to uphold and maintain uh, through all kinds of, uh, (laughs) I mean terrible uh terrible acts that most people are are have a conscience and would never do <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't you know please adam you should have a moment to speak oh no it's okay i was just i i've seen you know like you you referenced the he-man and then and i like how zach was talking about you know the evil like it 
it doesn't it, it's it it's so wrapped up in itself that it can't understand anything else you know and uh, i've seen that in real life maybe not on as great a scale you know maybe not evil but like i have i have a friend who um like i've known my whole life and their mom really loves them and they know she loves them but um growing up um whenever they did something good she she would say okay good job but you should do this this and this differently next time and in her mind like she was she was helping them she was showing that she loved them more because she was acknowledging that they did a good job but she was trying to make them better you know the next time and help them to to grow but in in this person's head receiving that type of that type of um comment they didn't hear the good job all they heard was you didn't do this right and and it you know like it, it and then you know years later um the mother wondered why their child flipped out and just you know so it like it just goes to show you know if you're so wrapped up and your own bullshit you can't you you just can't understand it and it's the same way in willow you know like with ba- like you you guys said with with bab bab morta she may be born evil but you know also she's wrapped up in her own shit and she doesn't even realize she probably thinks you know and that's why the prophecy the the bullshit prophecy is like she's like no she loves me she's so awesome i've told her so and i made her a great evil fighter and she'll never betray me like (laughs) there's no way she'd ever betray me (laughs) well okay i think i have just two little flippant comments i think and then (laughs) i want to give you a moment to talk lesson this just makes me think of something really and i hope it's not um being too insensitive I really think it would be funny to have like a counseling session where Sorsh and Bev Morta are like talking <laughs> it out and a counselor stuck between them. And Sorsh is like, my birthday is Tears Asleen's death day. And General Kale doesn't respect me. And, you know, Bev Morta is like, why are you like this? <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly, uh, I would love to see, uh, Willow as the therapist in that situation. <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> now, Beth Morda, the, uh... did you realize <laughs> that that's how how it made her Sorsha feel? <laughs> Man, I love that. Uh, no, and I mean honestly, if they had had some therapy, I mean, who, we would know why Beth Morda felt so evil. <laughs> if that right? therapy, she may not have done any of the thing. But that's, you know, talk therapy isn't for everyone. So maybe she right, needs yeah. something. You know, who knows? I'm not, you know. It's, al- it's also <laughs> not a magic wand, you know. Right, yeah. People, you have to do work and stuff. So, right. but Weston, you were about to say something. Oh, just that, um, you know, I always, because it's bad Morta. I Because we don't have uh, a lot of that backstory. And because what all we do know is that they had this terrible relationship I definitely, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily that she, um, 
uh, thought that Sorsha had some kind of, uh, saw some value, or maybe not necessarily, I think Bev Morta didn't believe the prophecy, not because she thought Sorsha loved her so much, but because she knew Sorsha was afraid of her. Um, and that fear is way more important to Bab Morta than love. Um, knowing yeah. that she has That's probably obedience, true, yeah. has control, is um, is the the goal. Um, because I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, as written, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> I, that's all we can really tell from Bad Morta is that uh, this was about her controlling how the the world. Um, I mean, that's her goal ultimately was to control every aspect of it, make sure that um, she would have a thousands and maybe infinite years reign over uh, Mother World and uh, turn it slowly to darkness. You know, it wasn't. Uh, motivated by any political means or she didn't feel like they weren't being nice enough to the trees. It wasn't, you know, she didn't have a cause. She was, uh, unfortunately. So I, you know, for <laughs> there's no, so there's no excuse for how she treated her daughter is no. what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. that there's no, no way we can give her an out on that because, uh, Sorsha is obviously incredibly, uh, traumatized from her experience as a child um the way that uh she uh, holds herself um in this uh this society the way she holds her position of power is through great violence towards people that ultimately have done nothing and i think that that obviously was weighing on her and in fact in the novelization they even talk about that weighing on general kale who doesn't seem like he has a conscience and is really? like really yeah the novelization ah. i don't know i i'm not 100% on a lot of that stuff in there it doesn't fit my <laughs> head canon <laughs> but no that's uh i think it it is really interesting that it does give that uh kind of pathos to kale in fact at the end of the novelization Kale is like glad he's dead so that the violence can end. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of taken like, back at that. I do <laughs> like the dynamic that on screen that General Kale and Sorsha have. And it's mostly at the beginning of the movie when they're talking about who's going to be um, hunting down the Nailwind. And you can see there's this, you know, competitive, um, competitiveness for Bev Morta's approval and they clearly do not get along Sorsha and General Kale because General Kale is like dude she's gonna fucking kill you like hello <laughs> prophecy <laughs> Bad Mort is like no no I trust her well and not to mention being like literally the only woman with a sword in the entire movie so yeah. you know one of probably a handful of women in the entire of mother world that actually does that as a profession. Um, you know, Sorsha is, I, I think it's definitely worth talking about the fact that, uh, she's like the lone woman soldier in the entire story. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's, uh, obviously, um, I mean, the magic sorcerer, like the sorceress Finrazel and Bad Morta, there we have uh, Sherlindria, but uh, 
yeah, we, you know, Kaya's not rolling in with Willow, like, you know, <laughs> dropping at trolls. And I mean, I would, I would pay to watch that a hundred thousand percent, but <laughs> I'd like to see her with a pitchfork now or a trident. <laughs> yes. Well, let's not get too carried away on Kaya. Cause we're going to make time for her in a future episode, but I do want to oh, say, I do like that. I do like that. Sorsha's um, a soldier and wields the sword. It's a, um, a choice that they, you know, that they made writing or directing or, you know, I'm not sure when or where the choice is made, but I like that choice a lot because the dark sorceress kind of, you know, can overplayed and the queen's already kind of filling that role. And it's just fun to see, to see um, something different, even if it's, even if she does fall into a lot of, tropes of the time especially in cinema and that kind of thing um <laughs> and it's it is it's all worth it for the end when she finally does get the chance to claim her own agency and make decisions for herself it's you know it, it's all the way up at the very end when she screams mother that you know she finally gets what's to her mm-hmm Yes. Uh, so I wanted to come back uh, around to the point about uh, we had talked about earlier uh, a friendship. Uh, Sorsha's character uh, and Mad Mardigan, Willow, Finn Rizal, um, in a way, even Laura Dannon. Um, you know, these characters become a, a traveling party. Uh, you know, uh, if you were playing it as a D and D game, you know, you'd each have your own role in that game, but or they would each have their own role in that game. But um, that friendship that camaraderie um that community is is something that i think is really uh vital for the character and anyone who we see in an abusive relationship is finding that barrier uh between them and that toxic person who is hurting them um finding some way to uh get that distance long enough to develop uh kind of uh, their own skills for uh in this case, agency, uh, autonomy, learning who they want to be and what they want to do. And um, in this case, Sorsha has found, uh, you know, these friends to, um, to that ultimately have the same goal as her. Um, and, and that uh, being a really important part of the character that I, I don't, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if it could be understated or overstated rather. Um, that that is such a important part of the character is uh, we know that she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, um, but some of my best friends don't have a lot of dialogue, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, those people, uh, I mean, they can be some of my favorites, man. Uh, especially when you know that uh, that shyness comes from a place where they were told often um that they weren't valued their opinions weren't uh, being listened to um that who they were wasn't important um finding those people that will will get you uh that will validate who you are and and be with you through those periods those are um you know the lifesavers that give you that opportunity to you know, go from being a, a general in the Nokmar army of evil bad guys to <laughs> being somebody who 
helps a baby uh, survive another day and save the world. Um, and that's a, it's a really beautiful aspect of, uh, of this character. She's not only um, strong and powerful and uh, obviously uh, very, very smart to have been able to stay alive that long, um, cunning, but, um, but also vulnerable um, and has that uh, ability to find herself as part of a, uh, something bigger and make those big changes that um, she wanted to make for herself. Not to mention, yeah, she that's has a really sword good, in the movie. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good point, Weston, because, you know, we were talking and thinking about Sorsha and Shy was not one of the thoughts that came to my mind, but it's absolutely true that Sorsha is shy in a way of her herself and her own feelings and her own desires and you know getting to you know it's not a thought that had occurred to me until you said it so i appreciate that if only for that reason <laughs> yeah well i i have an interesting perspective on it i you know uh grew up in some in not exactly always the best situations and um i I find uh, I relate to Sorsha's story a lot. Um, finding that uh, obviously I probably talk a little bit more than her, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but that uh, trying to having to to find that uh, that front that you put up in public uh, that tells everybody that you're tough and don't fuck with you uh, is something I'm very familiar with um, because uh, you know you don't. Uh, want to continue any kind of patterns that have already been started and you want to shut those down as quickly as possible. Um, it's a state of fear yep. um, that you tend to live in and it sometimes does uh, make you not want to reveal who you are in fear of losing that edge, um, losing that uh, the edge on everybody else in the room that you are still the, the remaining mystery or um, you are the uh, unknown factor. Um, and Sorsha definitely carries a lot of that around, um, having to <clears throat> play that uh, uh, that aspect of her personality up uh, to keep herself safe, to make sure that she has the same standing in society, like uh, in her in her world. Um, and yeah, I I I think um, it's difficult to look at. Uh, that relationship and not recognize that Sorsha still wanted her mother's uh, uh, approval, even after all of they they had been through. Um, it's it's very clear, and you can tell Bab Morda is playing into that as we you talked about a little bit earlier, Zach, um, where she's uh, in that kind of rivalry with uh, Kale, who. I mean, is obviously the the loyal, um, do anything unquestionably evil uh, kind of character. Whereas Sorsha is the one that uh, Bab Morda is always going to give more uh, 
the important jobs too, because she feels like she has beaten her sufficiently into uh, submission mm-hmm. and wants that, uh, wants her to maintain power for her family. Uh, it, but despite all of that, and despite Sorcia still wanting that uh, approval, she realizes that at some point, not only is that approval never going to come, uh, but that approval is also not worth her time pursuing any longer. Um, that her own approval of herself is the most important thing. Um, of having some, uh, having people in her lives who don't make her fight for that, you know. Um, and that's where the strength of that character comes in. And that fucking sword, though, right? Oh my god! Holy so, shit! It's so badass. I thought jokingly, but yeah, no, it's literally the coolest sword in the movie. Uh, I love it's like gauntlet sword, but Sorsha's curvy blade is a lifelong like love for me at this point. I I will always want a curvy, fancy sword like hers. It's it's gorgeous, and I love it. Yeah, and it's almost like a. It's like a rapier because it has the basket handle, but and then it's but it's got like the the thicker blade um, that a rapier wouldn't have, and um, you know it's got the and it, I believe it's a two sided two sided blade because it's got the the straight side, which is you know of course a, a normal cutting side, but then it's got that curved jagged side which just evokes like a saw to me, like I I could see her like down in the trenches like sawing some somebody's head off because her mom was like hey you gotta saw this guy's head off and she's like okay mom <laughs> um okay unfortunate unfortunately when i was making my uh hero forge minis they don't have any swords like that hero forge minis we love you um not a sponsor but if you want to just call hey. us up or email us but uh, but yeah, like, it, and if you're listening to this, we need like some cool badass like sort of saw blade type swords too, um, in of uh, various various designs. But yeah, so so um, I did um, actually quite a few um, Hero Forge minis for Sorsha. Like I just uh, last uh, last time we when we talked about the what ifs for Finn Rizal, it just sort of got me into, into the brain space of what ifs for Sorsha. And, um, of course I did the, the first two that I did. Um, one was Sorsha in her armor with, with a sword, um, with her helmet on. Then I of course did one with the helmet off. Um, but then I did the one of her and her night shift. Um, but I put her in a really pose, like a really standoffish pose with the dagger that she had. Um, you know, like Mad Mardigan, I don't care what kind of dust of broken heart you've got yourself into. Just don't fuck with me right now. <laughs> sort of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty dagger. I know. Right. Gorgeous. Uh, but then, uh, then I was like, I got more into the what if sort of headspace and I started thinking about, okay, so, and we'll talk a little bit more about the what ifs, but I did like, I did a Sorsha evil fighter mage, which kind of makes her look like uh, she's got a sword and she's doing some, some magic with her other hand, but, uh, and it's a pretty badass looking sword too. Um, but she's wearing like sort of, she almost kind of looks like a, 
like an a Sith, uh, like an evil Sith type of person. Um, and that's Sorsha evil fighter mage. Um, if you're looking at the, at the, uh, um, stuff on the nerd crafty site. And then I've got, um, I did a couple, like one of her sort of like off the beaten path. Like if she, if she ran away and got into nature and stuff. Um, and so like I did one where she was evil, where she's mainly, in black and um she's again doing some magic and stuff like that but i i made it a little bit more edgy with some with with a sort of a mohawk like shaved head type thing and then um and then i did one with her not all in black where you know maybe she maybe she ran away but didn't go full on like evil and uh was just kind of a cool nature person i was kind of inspired by um what is it um have you ever seen i think it's king arthur with um Kira Knightley and I forget who the guy oh, Clive uh, Owen. Clive Owen, yeah. I was I kind of inspired. Yeah, it's been a long time. I, I I I was inspired by that costume. So I, that's that's kind of the inspiration for her costume as <clears throat> sort of edgy nature fighter mage type of thing. So um but yeah so those are my those are my Hero Forge mini uh figures that um you know check them out on on the nerdcrafty website and um if you click on the on the link um i believe it'll just take you to hero forge and you can just do your own stuff with that model like it's it's yours to play around with and and it's free so that's pretty awesome whoop whoop hero forge so that brings me like since we're talking about characters and things like that um i think zach has a has a few things to say about characters yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to say the fighter mage one that she did is my personal favorite and probably what I drew from as far as great minds think alike for <laughs> the character sheet that I made for Sorsha. Um, cool. The, if you're doing your um, just following the character sheet, just the stats and the numbers, which I'll go over briefly, um, I would build up. Um, her as a level three character to match our mad Mardigan and Willow eventually will get to level three, but I think I did mostly level one or two for him, but um, I chose human and you don't have to choose the variant option. If you're not allowed to use feats in your game or you just want a simpler build, but I did choose the uh, variant human option so that you can get the magic initiate feat. And I built her up as a fighter, an eldritch knight, and gave her the background of noble. And um, those are all things that are going to let you play this character who's a fighter. You know, she uses a sword. She can uh, carry armor. And, you know, those are going to help you in your D&D game. But she's got a little magic on the side. And, and she's going to be able to cast some spells as well. And it's just kind of a way to show that lineage that she has that she's the queen sorceress's daughter and whether or not it's shown in the film i didn't really follow on this build i just like the idea that she has this magic that she is either you know was forced to learn or was born with just because she's the daughter of bev morta so um you know what spells you pick out um 
you can see which ones I've used there, but it's totally open to your build. But if you're going to be playing a character like Sorsha in your Dungeons and Dragons game, what's really important is that you nail the bad girl turned good girl, that you nail the bad character turned good character. And the way that, and I don't think I've actually done it in any of my own games, but the way I was thinking that you, that it can be done is if the bad character shows up as like with a secret identity. So you're playing in your Dungeons and Dragons game and all of a sudden the ninja or the shinobi or someone in a cloak shows up and they wreck the party. You get a chance for this character to ambush everyone. And if you're playing maybe, um, you know, with a surprise round, you give this moment for this mysterious character to arrive and just totally wreck someone. And then after that surprise round, maybe some more combat ensues. And there's definitely going to be, um, you know, you've got to be a bit of a GM who's willing to fudge the rules or improvise, or maybe you can have some control over the environment so that you can have things kind of go the way you intend. And the way you intend them to go is this big reveal that the mysterious fighter is actually Weston at the table and he reveals that he's playing Sorsha. And now <laughs> this person that we all thought was a bad guy is actually going to be a good guy. And if you're playing with a, an older um, group or a group that's a little more role play savvy, it doesn't even have to be instant. You can have a few games where you're begrudging allies. You know, it's that, that whole, um, my enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so there's definitely ways that you can have a more non-traditional character who gets to kind of play this neutral role, kind of like Sorsha is. She's kind of a bit neutral. She's kind of victim to her surroundings, to her upbringing. And once your player character is immersed with their friends that you're all role-playing with, it's just going to be a very natural thing of their character wanting to be around these other people and wanting to save their lives. Even if it's for a, you know, this kind of Vegeta versus Goku, like nobody kills him, but me, like <laughs> you can't kill him because we still have this grudge match that we need to uh, have, you know, this kind of, um, if you've watched uh, The Legend of Vox Machina, there's a great moment where Vax and Grog kind of have this rivalry <laughs> and Grog says, nobody kills him but me. You know, it's it's <laughs> fun. It's cool. And it's a way to spice up your table if you've been playing for decades and everybody meeting at the tavern has gotten old. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's ways that you can be creative but like most things, you have to be willing to work with your GM and your GM has to pull some new tricks out of their bag and learn some new things. And you can just pull on media that you've already seen. Um, you know, maybe a love potion is involved. 
you know, that's in your DMG, um, you know, a dust of, of broken hearts. So if you're going to be um, role-playing this character, this bad guy turned good guy, like have fun with it. Um, the reveal is going to be a lot of fun. And if, if you have a great table that enjoys the role-playing, you're going to have a lot of fun with, with stretching that out instead of making it this instant thing of now the bad guy is the good guy. But this kind of thing that happens over time where, you know, maybe even it's not a full on bad guy. Maybe it's someone more neutral like uh, Casey Jones and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they kind of, you know, have a moment to get drawn more and more into the family. So um, you can see that character sheet on our website on the ignore on nerdcrafty.com on the ignore the bird of river section. And you'll also see um, some other things filled out that will help you role play that character, the bonds, the ideals, Sorsha's flaws. So feel free to take a look and, you know, pull what you want uh, for your own character that you'll be playing as, but, Make sure you nail that that archetype of a of a character who's discovering their agency, or you know, think about how and when they're going to find it and use it, and what that looks like, and have fun casting spells and using swords at the same time with your heavy armor. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say though, uh, Jerry Jack. Jerry Jack was a bad guy turned good yeah. guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, maybe you're that was an NPC though. And this I wanted to make sure I focus on player characters. It's kind of easy to have an NPC, a non-player character, you know, the GM's uh, character that the GM controls become a good guy. I think it's almost inevitable if your mm. group is definitely has someone like Weston who always wants to talk it out before you <laughs> pull out your swords and spells and just falls in love with, you know, all the characters. So um, if you're going to have an NPC that does that, you know, go for it. It's going to be a lot easier to accomplish, but if you can get a player character in on that buy-in, everyone's going to be that much more immersed because you've really, you've got that buy-in. Oh yeah. Definitely. I mean, even for those outside the know who are just hearing this inside joke between Weston and I, there was a character, <laughs> a minion. I couldn't remember his name between sessions. It was Jerry one session. It was Jack the next. But he grew <laughs> so attached to the party, we just started calling him Jerry Jack. And he ended up being um, – it was revealed he was a brother of Weston's character. Like, you know – you these things develop <laughs> over time and that's what makes them the most fun is you can add these kind of retcons and just have fun with it. I mean, certainly that's how we did at our table. Jerry Jack ended up being my brother. Yeah. And it was a heartbreaking, a heartbreaking moment when he died. I, I, I don't remember exactly, oh, but I got a little bit choked up. Mm. I of course killed him. <laughs> right before right, one of our last sessions. Oh no! <laughs> it was it was a good moment. The, yeah, you got to give the stakes to that final boss fight, man. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but Adam, you had mentioned that you had put together some what ifs for us to contemplate. Um, 
Um, yes, this is true. And uh, as as we were talking, I was looking th- or as we were talking about the uh, the miniature figure figures. I was looking through and talking about it and I was like, wait a second. There was one that I didn't do or that I did that I'm not seeing here and I forgot to put it on. So I, as, as we were talking or you were talking, Zach, I went ahead and posted it. So there was one more minifigure and this will kind of segue nicely into the what ifs. Um, Cause last time we were talking about, um, you know, different what ifs for Finn Rizel and Bav Morta. And I forget who it was, but somebody posed the question, what if Bav Morta like went into Sherlindria's forest grove and stole the stag King and became the stag, you know, the wife of the stag King and had a daughter with him. And Sorsha was actually the daughter of Bav Morta and the stag King. So I've posted that figure as well. So it's oh, kind of nice. cool. She's like a sort of a naturey. She's a, kind of a kind of a fawn. She's got some deer horns. Still got that that signature red hair. Um, but uh, but yeah, she's got she's got little deer legs and everything like that. So kind of a that's awesome. cool, interesting fawn character. Yeah. So so that's her. Um, so that's what it like. So so if that happened, what do you what do you guys think? What if Sorsha actually was half human um, and became or and, and was the daughter of the stag king. Uh, so I do like the so Sorsha is a fiery character. She's violent. She's got some sass that's exemplified in her hair and in her weapon, that fiery shape to the blade. So I definitely mm-hmm. would want to keep that, but it would probably um, I don't know if I'd even stay tied to the red hair, maybe. But uh, if she was coming out of the forest like that, and, you know, in this what-if scenario, Bev Morda is not in control of the castles. She's in control of nature, and she, and it's mm-hmm. very much a, an order versus chaos, at least in my what-if headcanon. And so Sorcerer story i think would play out very similarly but you might have a good male role model in her life in the stag king not that he's a champion for humanity or for order but i mean compared to bev morda it's like that alignment um (laughs) you know he's maybe a true neutral or a a chaotic neutral bev morda is lawful evil so there mm-hmm. would be a little bit more of Sorsha being able to discover herself and and the nature of good and the nature of nature. So I imagine that Sorsha might have less of that fear and that blind kind of obedience to Bev Morda that she has at the beginning of the Willow movie. And so the beginning of this, what if would actually have Sorsha maybe even plotting against her or, um, you know, acting on her own. Maybe she's just an entirely neutral figure in the forest and she's divorced herself of her lineage to the stag King and to Beth Morda. And she's just uh, a strider, a ranger, 
you know, who mm-hmm. discovers the party as just a, you know, I feel like she would be much closer to that neutral zone than we see here at the beginning of Willow. What do you think, Weston? Dude, this one blows my mind because we talked about it. <clears throat> Our initial talks about it. I remember we were talking about um, Bab Morta's influence corrupting Stag King. So that was my... Mm-hmm. Uh, that was where my brain was at. Because Stag King is basically a god. Like, there's, he's not just, mm-hmm. like, a fancy stag. He's, like, uh, I always think of him like the, the forest spirit from um, uh, Mononoke. Oh, yeah. I, it's kind of like the, the mental image I always get for him. Um, and so when she corrupts him, I therefore think of him like when the Stag King uh, is, ha- is decapitated by uh, Lady Boshi. Um, and he's he becomes this sludgy mass that starts consuming the forest instead of he, uh, healing the forest. He's uh, the element of the elements of life and death that he holds, the power of life and death that um, decay and all of these things that this that that character holds um, uh, comes out of balance and becomes a creature solely focused on the destruction. Um, and that's kind of how I imagine uh, the Stag King uh, in this scenario. Obviously, uh, slightly different worlds and all of that, thi- uh, all of that but um, I feel like a very uh, similar kind of protector of the forest kind of role in the Stag King, especially at the level that they kind of like a, this a demi- a, a demigod kind of uh, level that mm-hmm. they, they put him at in the lore. Um, so... If Bab Morda were to, in this case, have taken over the woods and uh, uh, decided to uh, marry the Stag King, or however uh, you want to envision that, um, then I feel like that corruption would have essentially gone on to uh, potentially have some kind of influence in Sorsha's, like, um, like the way that she would, uh, I mean, it would, it would affect every aspect of Sorsha ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not that means, uh, I, I really like where you, uh, I really like where you were going with it, Zach, where it was like, uh, Sorsha then has that same kind of power of, um, uh, as like her, uh, her father, you know, like if she were to have part of the stag King, uh, in her makeup, she would have some kind of like Herculean kind of, or, you know, similar kind of, uh, semi, uh, godhood as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of power. And so whatever that manifests with, I think, especially with her fire hair, the destructive nature, or my imagining of the destructive nature of the stag King, uh, in his, uh, uh, corrupted sense, um, you know, maybe she's like this element of fire. Um, you know, that, that I was part just of thinking that, <laughs> um, maybe you know, wildfire. Yeah. And, uh, she takes like the form of like, what are like the, they're like, a like elemental sprite characters that mm-hmm. float around. And yeah, I can't remember if there's like a, anyway, it doesn't matter. The point <laughs> is, is that's kind of how I, I would imagine her like this flowing magma person um and uh yeah i think that kind of um if 
advanced sentience or connection with like the uh, direct connection to the spiritual or uh, greater magical world in Willow uh, would give her a kind of uh, um, a kind of knowledge that a human version of Sorsha wouldn't have, um, you know, an ability to communicate with uh, characters or uh, figures within the lore of Willow that are, I mean, arguably much more powerful than Bab Morta herself. Uh, you know, the elements and uh, forces, you know, that are, you know, uh, it's escaping me. But like, yeah, the, the higher <laughs> yeah. beings essentially from the world. But um, so, yeah, I think that there's a great potential for her to have some kind of uh, distance from her mother. Also, like the a certain kind of enlightenment maybe that would still have her joining up with our heroes at some point in the story. Um, just mm-hmm. albeit in a very different form. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, a number of different ways that could go, especially with bad Morta's increasing power. How would that affect her control over Sorsha? Um, you know, right. she's shacked up with a God and that's, uh, you know, dangerous for a person with bad Morta's uh, ill intentions. Yeah, I like. I do. Think, <laughs> oh, what were I you just wanted say, Zach? to add? Yeah, I just wanted to add, and then because it makes and it makes me realize if she does have that connection to nature, she is going to be more and more, I think, uh, independent of her mother, and she's probably going to be talking to animals or and or plants, and so there's going to be <laughs> some kind of friendship there. You know, it's. Almost like I, I keep thinking of Little Mermaid. Like she's gonna have like a little <laughs> brownies friends. She's gonna have little squirrels, or maybe you know that wildfire in nature. She's gonna have like a bear or a panther. You know this kind of pet companion. And I would definitely build that character sheet as a ranger. You know the beast companion ranger. Oh yeah, totally. What were yeah, you gonna say, reminds- Adam? Oh, it, it just like what both of you guys said, like the way that the way that you sort of described it, Zach, um, what was kind of the way I designed the the character model, um, the hero forge uh, figure. But um, but you you uh, I didn't really show the magical side, but I think so. So that kind of inspired me. I'm going to definitely do another figure based on that. But then. I love the opposite take to Weston and like, uh, you know, like the, the totally immersed in evil because the stag King is destroyed and totally corrupted and things like that. So, so I'm going to design one based off of that as well. And I like the elemental aspect. So we're going to, um, you know, in the next few days you'll see on Nerdcrafty uh, website, uh, probably three more figures. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so, um, <laughs> You were talking about, uh, you know, like having, you know, Little Mermaid, having brownie friends and things like that. So um, I one of my other what ifs that I was thinking about uh, was so Sorsha at some point, for whatever reason, she's had it and she actually finds the courage to sever ties and run away. Um, And uh, she she goes off, starts to do her own thing. And for whatever reason, she um, she runs into trouble and isn't able to 
um, handle it. And she almost dies and the brownies discover her and they take her back to Trilindria's Grove. And um, just as a little, I mean, and that's, that's just it in a nutshell. But then also I, I was toying with the idea and I think we had, we had uh, talked about this before. What if, um, while in that grove, uh, she's given the wand of Sherlindria. Wow. Wow. So she could totally yeah. like, she could totally be like a good badass, you know, she could, you know, it just all depends, but, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but I think that sort Dude. of fuels the little, little mermaid thing too. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. <laughs> So yeah. Really? Um, so is this like when she's a kid or is this like right before the events of the film or I'm thinking like basically, you know, of course, tourism, everything's normal um as per the 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 storyline in the film until um I don't know, maybe maybe it's when maybe it's when her mom forces her to kill her cat. Um and or maybe it's when maybe it's when because I, I was I was looking through it and she she didn't just uh, Bev Morta didn't just kill her teacher, her sword teacher, her instructor. She turned him into a a giant maggot and then he died. So, yeah. So, like, I'm thinking one of those two events is when when she is just like, all right, fuck this. Uh, I'm I'm out of here. You know, like so. So that's I. so she goes off. I think if she. If she did it, if she left um, when she had when she was forced to kill her cat, I think that'd probably be the better one because at that point she wouldn't necessarily she wouldn't have the sword knowledge, she wouldn't have um, all of the survival know-how, and that's why she comes into some trouble and isn't able to handle it and almost dies. And then then of course the brownies come and save the day. So yeah, that's kind of because I think the cat incident. I might be splitting hairs here, but I think the cat incident does happen when she's fairly young, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like she's younger. Oh, okay. She has no sword skills. She doesn't. Right. So it makes sense that she gets. Okay, I'm. I'm following now. All right. Yeah. 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 So, sorry. Were you going to go on? Because I definitely. I think that's no, a really no. fascinating one. Open floor. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Because I. Uh, I definitely am basically with you that this is the hero path, you know, this is unambiguous good path. Like, um, yeah, you know, this is, she's young enough that Bab Morta, um, hasn't even really uh, fully broken her. She's able to run away, uh, from the castle, um, and stay away for long enough that she is, uh, even able to encounter danger. <laughs> like that's something yeah. that, you know, wouldn't have been able to happen to her. Uh, Unless it was her mother putting her through it. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but so in this, uh, in this version of events, like, you know, when Willow and Migosh end up in the, the woods on their way back from dropping off a Laura Dannon, I assuming everything happens similarly as it does. Um, it could be. Yeah, totally. You know, we see, you know, instead of Cheryl Indra in the, the woods, we see, um, uh, we, we see, uh, Sorsha. Yeah. And yeah, that would just basically be like, cool. I'm going to take you guys to Tira's lean. We're going to break the curse. It's going to 
fucking rip, bros. Hold the fuck on. And Migosh is just like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> Can I go back home still? I feel like there's a future where I should go back home. <laughs> I do. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still hoping in this in this version that uh, Mad Mardigan ends up going and being a woman, like dressing as a do, dressing in drag. Well, I mean, somehow that has to happen. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's 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 mostly yes. I, I'm with I'm 100 <laughs> percent with you, but it's mostly to to get away from from uh, Lug. That's his name. Lug. Ah, meet well, Lug. What I like what I like most about this what if scenario is you can you can have a moment where Sherlandria is kind of I feel like she might not give her the wand right away. That would be the moment where she gives Sorsha the wand and tells her, you know, you've been running away from your past. You ran away to this forest. I gave you refuge. This is a bastion, but you need to face your mother, yeah. you need to return to Tearsleen. You will find allies. You will fall in love. Take this. Take Willow. Leave the forest and discover your your true self, your true destiny. And that's probably my favorite part of this "what if" scenario is that moment where Shalandria has been this adoptive mother, and maybe the Stag King is there too as an adoptive father. And they're taking mm-hmm. this runaway that they have fostered and telling her she she needs to go out into the greater world. And and then it becomes a, a coming of age story for Sorsha. Oh yeah. Oh bro. So yeah, she breaks the Lord in and out herself or some shit, maybe. You know, like yeah. uh the nursemaid, uh instead of encountering the river, you know, maybe Sorsha saves her Ooh, or something. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh, I like that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that would rip, dude. And then you know, it's Sorsha's <laughs> story. Then it's like you know, Sorsha and Alora Dan and these two, uh, you know, these two prophesied babies. Ooh, I love that with red, fiery hair. Yeah, trying to save the world. That would friggin' rip, dude. Hell yeah! All right, who's gonna write the fan fiction? That's <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. That's Hopefully really cool. one of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> or one of us. If you found that to be Yeah. If you found that to be inspiring, then let your pen do the work. <laughs> um <laughs> Um yeah, so we've done so we've done Sorsha Stag King, we've done Sorsha Discovered by Brownies. Um I kind of like because I hadn't thought about it until like you had said it, Zach, uh, when we were talking at one point that um, your idea of a what if that you liked was where something changed, but they ended up in the same place at the end that they would have ended up any or that the in the movie that they did anyway. So um, I'm I was trying to wrap uh, trying to think of something that would would change that could do that. And, and the thing I came up with was basically the brownies use too much, uh, dust of broken heart. Um, when, when he fell in love with the cat. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and the cat really loved him. 
Um, but that that's that's an uh, that's a an outtake that they didn't put in the they didn't keep in the movie. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but then uh, basically, so so Mad Mardigan never gets hit with the dust of the uh... broken heart. So in that situation, what's going to happen? How are things going to change? Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Zach, first, because I think uh, this okay. is something that your your DM brain um, was already thinking about. Uh, I'm just giving you the scenario. Okay. So the scenario is how do how does Sorsha still fulfill her prophecy without the love potion working? On her right. and Mad Mardigan, or Mad yes. Mardigan initially. Yeah. So in this scenario, Sorsha may not. I would just have to jump. So I'm just going to jump the story to the next encounter when I think it's right before the ice when when they get captured again after finding right. Finn Rizel. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think what would happen is instead of just like a singular moment where she falls in love with Mad Mardigan and there's kind of this, this, um, this storyteller like hand wave, like, okay, now they love each other. It would have to be a slow build. And I think her initial um, companionship would probably be with Willow instead this oh. mad Mardigan, she's going to hate, she's, she hates him. And you know, some of the best romance you initially hate this person and then you mm-hmm. just grow to fall in love with them, or at least I'm partial to that. And so <laughs> she would instead be seeing Willow as a friend and they would have a connection initially. And her and mad Mardigan have this like rivalry, you know, they maybe even have sword fights to determine who's the better fighter and so oh, you would yeah. get that slow, you would get that slow burn between her and Mad Mardigan, but she would kind have of a, an initial connection with Willow. Please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say kind of a, a, a Legolas uh, Gimli sort of situation. Or Guts and Griffith. Absolutely. So I've, I've got more. How many are you killed? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I think Sorsha's <laughs> turn to good would still be you know, would still, and I'm sorry, a what-if scenario should be maybe a little bit more different, but I feel like it would play out very much the same, but she would have a scene with Willow, you know, maybe it's over a campfire, or maybe it's while she's dragging him, where she discovers who Kaya is, where she discovers Mm. that he's got this family that he left behind, and where she discovers that Willow is has befriended Mad Mardigan and it's kind of his superpower like she can't do that. And so um I feel like that it would it might even be a better story where she gets to have a slow burn with Mad Mardigan and their first kiss might even be at the end of the movie instead of getting married at the end of the movie and right. and then and it's her relationship with Willow that really, because Willow's the heart of the story. So what's going to change her heart is going to be Willow in my mind. You like motherfucker, it. you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> that's freaking that cool. Rips. No, that's a genuinely better version of the movie. Absolutely. 
So it's, now you know what it is though. It's a longer version of the movie. You know, yeah. that she doesn't have she doesn't have a lot of lines. I think just because there's so much time that they spend on the other characters, and so that would be a longer version of the movie. And for pacing, it may not be better. So if Disney wants to reboot it, a la uh, the Batman, um, it's it's in keeping Ooh. with the trends of of the time now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty. Great. Did you have a thought, Weston, for that scenario? Yeah. What's your th- What are your thoughts? Oh, uh, the scenario being dust of broken heart completely taken out of the the equation. Yeah. And this is like this was uh, this is ultimately you're like this is the moment that really changes everything for this the yeah. story. Because I don't think um, if if the dust of broken heart wasn't in play, clearly Mad Mardigan wouldn't have come up there and said those things. He just would have, you know, come and and so maybe she doesn't have her awakening as as soon. You know, because he's not saying nice things and she doesn't think, oh, I, 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 maybe I do deserve nice, nice words and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's where I'm thinking of. Well, you know what it does tell me a lot about you, Adam. (laughs) You're one of those people (laughs) that absolutely loves a good love story. You think love can save the world. And I think that is fucking beautiful. (laughs) Who, me? Surely not. I think that's, I think that's. An incredibly admirable trait, and I, I think that it shows in, in your your selection for what you think would really change everything is a little love, you know, entering mm-hmm. the equation, and that's a really beautiful thought, man. I I definitely oh, wouldn't shucks. have come to that conclusion, um, <laughs> I, but I I do see where you're coming from, uh, and I definitely uh, can see how that would have definitely changed uh, Sorsha's outlook. Um, you know, not having that connection to to Mad Mardigan, um, but I I I think Zach's scenario where um, her developing a friendship with Willow is such a beautiful and whole. You guys are like two of the most wholesome, optimistic people, and you've just shown your complete <laughs> ass right now. <laughs> no, well, certainly <laughs> for the stories I want to tell and hear, that's you know, that's what I I'm going it. for. Well, yeah, and that's what I love about fantasy is it, it, it gives you that ability to, to do things that are just that powerful and that, that magical and, and don't necessarily make sense in our reality, but should, you know, um, and that's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we, that we all reach for um, in those escapist um, uh, kind of uh, well. fiction. And that's, <laughs> you know, by well. and large, that's what I'm here for. Oh. No, I got a bone to pick with you, my friend, because <laughs> if you lead by good example, if you teach children and people that have never heard that being good is good for its own reward, that doing the right thing when no one's looking is when it's most important, that um, sticking it out through the very end, through the fourth quarter, when everything seems at most dire is you know, we only learn those things by the people around us, by the role models we have, by um, if you don't have someone showing you that it's, that that's what's cool, that that's what's rewarding, 
then you're just going to continue down a, a negative path. So um, maybe my optimism in fiction I is bleeding into real life, but I think it comes <laughs> from a real place. These oh. aren't things that people make up because we're trying uh, for me anyways, because we're trying to escape. It's it. There's, there's some, some real experiences behind it. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. You there's know, a song um, in sound of music uh, called you have to be taught. And it's all about, or not, sorry, not sound of music. Uh, South Pacific, South Pacific. And um, you, I saw Matthew Morris playing in that. And you have to Morrison. Sorry. Sorry, Matthew. Anyway, but yeah, he um, they say you have to be carefully taught to hate. And yeah, it's true. It's very much true. Whether whether it's by physically being like actually being taught or by the absence of people to teach you the right things and just the, the shit that you see in your environment. Uh, through having that absence of of people to teach you what's good or what could be good, yeah, totally. Yep. You were gonna say something too, Weston. I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. I think that the uh, the that whole that what if, yeah, I definitely I I can see it playing out in the most negative way, as we we talked about earlier when we were a little bit more uh, somber. Is uh, serious i guess um that you know there's some real um messed up power dynamics and uh you know relationship yeah. elements going on with Bab- within the relationship of Bamorda and Sorsha so without that without one of the two scenarios where either Mad Mardigan shows her that affection or Willow and her develop a, a relationship i definitely see how it very easily could have uh you know continued that that same status quo that Sorsha lived uh, with. And um, yeah, it, it very easily could have just spelled destruction for all of mother world. You know, I mean, there's no reason uh, that she kept uh, Mad Mardigan alive. Um, as we, we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah. The, they weren't too, they weren't instructed to capture anyone, but Alora Dannon. And really, I think she thought it might be smart to bring Willow along. Uh, because Willow at least knew how to care for an infant. He demonstrated mm. that while they were together. Um, however, Mad Mardigan... <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> he's a liability from the get-go. I yeah. mean, um, and, and Sorsha <laughs> would know that. Um, I think there's something uh, in their introduction or something uh, in the character that makes her uh, spare his life. Uh, maybe she does yeah. want to keep dragging him along and humiliate him the way that uh, you know she's been uh, abused and humili- humiliated herself. Um, but um, so yeah, I think ultimately I could very easily see it going, uh, just continuing that path. And I mean, ultimately, that would have probably meant the swift destruction from Mad Mardigan very soon. I mean, if they had continued their plan either way to uh, get out of the cage that night, they probably would have stood much greater chance of getting captured. Um, mm-hmm. And if they had got captured, I'm sure Mad Mardigan probably wouldn't have made it out. Um, yeah. And if Mad Mardigan didn't make it out, 
Willow is uh, ultimately, you know, the uh, the now one nursemaid of Elora Dannon, and would only probably be allowed to exist until they got back to uh, Bad Morda. Yeah. Um, and maybe not even that long. Who knows? You know, as soon as maybe uh, without some kind of connection, you know, um, she gets tired of this, this no one constantly berating her, telling her that this is not how you take care of an in. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't I'm find a hungry. baby black root. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, okay. So, Enough about love. What if I have one <laughs> final scenario and I was just like sort of generically thinking, okay, what if, what if Sorsha goes full on dark side, you know, just like sticks with her mom, like does the shit she wants to and like actually, you know, becomes a sorcerer, not just a fighter. But then I thought, wait, mm. that's, I mean, that, that's, that's got its merit, but it's, it's a little too generic for me. And then mm-hmm. I, I was like, what what could be really crazy and weird and, and just like unexpected? What if she gets so fed up and so like goes down that deep, dark hole so far that um, she does stick with her mom? She does go full, go full dark side. But when she does, she goes so dark side that she actually manifests the Malatrium. And it like her mom doesn't have it anymore and she has it. Now Uh she becomes the evil one. Like a twisted fairest of them all kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I've got an answer already. I think (laughs) that if this was my what if scenario, then she would still have her redemption. She would Mm. still have. And so instead of, um, you know, falling victim to the ritual and killing herself, she would still have a redemption either via Willow or Mad Mardigan and, um, and, and still, um, learn the error of her ways and give up on her plots of evil. And I don't think I have any great details or how that would come about. I just think thematically, Telling a, a story with a you know, uh, especially a fairy tale where morality is so tied up and how things end, I would still want Sorja to have that redemption at the end where she sees the error of her ways. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I love the idea of her manifesting the Melitrium. The whole like you know. Uh, <laughs> snow blood red <laughs> I don't know <laughs> right <laughs> uh, vibes that it's given off that was interesting like dang because it would definitely split Bad Morta um, it would split her interest like not only is she got she's got she's got two uh, people that she's got to worry about uh, murking her out I, I mean yep. this uh you know, it's the classic you split the army or split the party kind of situation where you're no longer um, quite as strong in any uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, or on either front. Um, you know, so she's 
still searching for at what point do you think uh this would have happened this this scenario happens oh man so i think this one it happens like either because of or maybe after uh the the incident with the with the um sword instructor um yeah. i don't think this i think this is this is something that has to have been like burning and festering for a long time for her to be that that far down the hole to be able to manifest the malatrium like her mom just kind of wanted to learn magic and wanted to learn any kind of magic but she was especially attracted to evil magic and so it was just kind of a natural thing but for sorsha i don't think it's a natural thing and, and it has to be extremely twisted to get there oh dude yeah and it's yeah, that's heavy. I mean, I think with Zach's situation, or uh, like maybe she doesn't even like she gets a redemption, but it's more like a Darth Vader redemption. Like she gets it just before she dies, you know, before she passes into the into the Force with Zach's scenario. But with this one, like I, you know, like it if it's really twisted, she doesn't get a redemption. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. Like. She's gonna kill. She's gonna kill Bath Morta some at some point because that's her ultimate goal. Because she's because she's uh, you know gotten gotten really. Anyway, I can't. I'm just going down the rabbit Maybe. hole. But uh, but it looks like we have Go to ahead. we have to we have to uh, um, wrap it up a little bit here. But let's let's hear some fi- some final thoughts on this this one with. Uh, with Zach and then, or sorry, with uh, Weston and then Zach, or vice versa, either way. <laughs> uh, at least as far as the what if goes, if Sorsha doesn't get a redemption, I would go for a sins of the mother route or sins mm. of the father and have maybe Finn Rizel doesn't live to the end and it's up to Willow to take down, or Willow and Mad Mardigan to take out Sorsha. And gotcha. then you're, you know, you're playing on that that sins of the parent kind of theme where it's fallen on them to, to end this cycle of violence. Um, I know we are running short on time. I have a, what if scenario that came to my mind? Um, What if the sword trainer of Sorsha is a knight of Galadorn and she joins the knights of Galadorn? you know, maybe as Ooh. an adolescent or a teen. What does that look like? That's pretty cool. I don't think we have the time to explore that whole that that <laughs> actually I didn't even think about that. That's pretty cool. Like why don't we um why don't we explore that and maybe we can make that like an outtake or or uh or possibly, you know, post it somewhere on um on Nerdcrafty or something like that. Maybe we could even circle back to that okay. on like a Kale episode. Or oh yeah, Kale, totally. Uh, the Eric episode. Yeah, I told. I love that. That's a great scenario. That's really yeah. cool. Well, I guess we should uh, wrap things up here. We have ignored the bird and followed the river all the way to its end, and um, we are very happy if you have been listening this long. The next episode of Ignore the Bird, Follow the River might be a little bit easier to follow and exciting to listen to. We have a very special guest 
the author of the Willow Sourcebook, Mr. Alan Varney, and he was an absolute pleasure to talk to. It was a real um, authentic joy to be able to pick his brain, and we got some really great insider information and some uh, motivational things to hear from him. And so um, stick around for that episode because it's an absolute blast. If you want to hear us, um, especially me, just totally fanboy out, please <laughs> stick around for that episode. It's probably the most fun I've had, um, certainly in anything I've done creatively. So uh, that'll be on the next episode of Ignore the Bird, Follow the River. If you've been following our nerdcrafty, network at all the youtube channel has episodes of the iron hearts campaign and our other sunday night games we've also got twitch streams on tuesday afternoons with weston and the art that he's doing and sam does a world building wednesday at five o'clock on wednesdays so um, check those out i'm captain zach game master weston who are you I'm Weston Leval, actor, artist, musician. You can find me at Lava Submersible on Instagram and TikTok. Adam? I am Adam, and you will find me on Nerd Crafty doing various nerdy and crafty things. Um, so check it out. And this has been Ignore the Bird, Follow the River. Bye-bye, brownies and bobkins. Bye-bye. Bye. Have Bye. a great day. This has been a Nerd Crafty podcast.